this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. Hey, this episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by the Value Builder System. I had the opportunity to interview Stephanie Breedlove the other day. She sold her $9 million payroll company for a cool $54 million. How does she do it? She focused on the eight things that drive company value. Things like what we call the Switzerland structure, monopoly control, recurring revenue, all things you're going to evaluate in your own business using the Value Builder score. It takes about 15 minutes to complete the survey. Go to valuebuilder.com. Well, if you're in the mood for a little inspiration, I have Dr. Kamal Yadav for you. Dr. Yadav started in America in the 1960s, came over with virtually nothing in his pocket, $15, and built an amazing career and an amazing company, which he sold recently uh, at a huge premium. He originally thought the business was worth $2 million, and ultimately he got three point. Two million. Uh, lots of really interesting stories here. Listen to the way he worked with his advisor, Steve, on projecting his future profits. Also, the importance of showing growth in his numbers and, and how he made the shift from a lifestyle business that he ran for many years into a growth-oriented business. Uh, listen to the importance of owning the product and not just distributing other people's products. He owned the formula, which is one of the reasons his business was so attractive. Uh, the acquirers that he got, he had 14 different offers and the breadth of different acquirers I found fascinating. Also listen for the importance of recurring revenue, in particular the government contracts that he had in the negotiations. Lots of tips and tricks also on negotiation, uh, how to deal with accounts receivable, lots of information. I wanted to say a special thanks and shout out to Steve Denny. Uh, Steve is a certified value builder with our group as well as uh, Doc's uh, intermediary in this sale process. So uh, Steve was the one who recommended um, Doc. If you've got someone you want to recommend, please head over to builttosell.com slash nominate. Here is Dr. Kamal Yadav. Dr. Kamal Yadav, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Thank you, John. Now, do I have your permission to call you Doc? Yes. Whenever yes. I hear the word doc, I think of the, the old Back to the Future movie. Do you remember <laughs> the crazy doctor and Marty McFly? And so I, the entire interview, I'm going to think of that character as we have this conversation. <laughs> That's great. Good deal. Well, listen, Doc, so tell me how you got, you started Chemco back all the way back in 1975. Tell me about how this thing started. Okay, well, I'll give you a little background about myself, the sort of one. I came from India in 1961. I had a $15 on me, and I had a bachelor's degree in chemistry. I went to University of Missouri, Columbia, Missouri, and did my master's and PhD in chemistry and got a job at Monsanto. After eight years, I got laid off, and I couldn't find a job. So I said, well... I got a doctorate degree. I shouldn't be looking for a job. I should be giving job to other people. So we started Chemco in 1975. And Chemco, fantastic story, really the American dream in many ways. What did you guys sell? Chemco, I'm assuming it's chemicals of some sort? Right. It is primarily environmentally safe cleaning 
sanitizing and lubricating. Okay, so if, if I'm if I'm in the men's room and I'm lie. am I peeing on one of those little pucks? Am I am I lie. peeing on one of your products? Yes. <laughs> okay, just that. so we're clear. I got I, I think I get it now. All right. So the cleaning stuff, yeah, detergents. Yeah. So hand soap. Oils. I understand that lubricants were, were a big, lubricants. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a swimming pool chemicals, a ground care like weed killer, a fertilizer and all that. And then our major customers were sewage treatment plants. Cities, counties, state, and federal, like Army, Navy, all the ships that, you know, go on the ocean. Yeah, they sure. have They have a wastewater facility on the ship. You know, just about, just you have urine, pieces. How will they go for um, six months? They are treated. And my chemicals are used in there to digest all human waste into biodegradable product, which can be pumped into those without any problem. Got it. So this business was started back in 75. Now, how, you know, how big did you get this business before you decided to sell like what how many employees that, that kind of stuff like our sales were at that point uh three million dollars when you decided to sell right and well, then but the key in that business was when you think about three million you think it's a pretty small company but since i designed the formula being a chemist my gross profit on them were well, were well over 70%. Wow. So when I sold $3 million, I made over $2 million. Then I paid my, like I had 20 employees, and paid the employees, and I took home close to half a million dollars a year for about 40 years. Fantastic. So that, that made me a very wealthy person in the process. Clearly, yeah. So, so top line three million, gross profit two million. You paid your employees, and after all was said and done, there was still five hundred grand left for Doc at the end. I, of the year. I, I right, and still company had a profit or left, so we never had to finance uh, from outside. It was all internally financed, no loan, no nothing. Fantastic. So. So what was it that made you want to sell? Because I'm assuming you could have, you could have continued on for many years, uh, you know, right. generating all that profit. You know, why, why sell? Well, here is what happened. That uh, I had a master succession plan. My son was very good in uh, public speaking and salesmanship and leadership. I thought he will be my uh, successor in the business. And my daughter was good in science like I was, and she did her bachelor in chemical engineering and master's in PhD in engineering management. And my son did his MBA at Wharton School of Business, hmm. Penn State. So when he did that, uh, he found a small company, bought uh, for a little money, uh, that was doing about um, less than a million dollars, but now about over 15, a little over 15 years, that does over $40 million. Hmm. 
So he was not coming back to my business anymore. He had a lot bigger company than I had. My daughter studied as assistant professor in medicine, Wisconsin, and moved up the ladder slowly within 10 years. She became a dean of the School of Business in Indiana. And she was not making that kind of money like my son was. I thought I can recruit her to run my business. She was kind enough just tried to please me, took a three-month sabbatical in a summer, and came to work for me. But he didn't like that. She didn't like that kind of work. So I was out of successors. In the meantime, my wife got some nerve problem, which I got fixed now. But at that time, they were telling that she may be on a wheelchair the rest of her life. I thought, well, I don't need it. I'm independently wealthy. So I put that on sale. And I was very fortunate to find Steve Denny. He's a super human being. So Steve, um, I want to get into Steve's role. Steve was kind enough to put us together. He's a certified value builder in our community. So Steve recommended you. But before we get to Steve, so your your wife had some health issues. Your, right. ki- your kids said, no, they don't want to. No. You know, no, yeah. Right. Now, so you made the decision to sell, um, and and so tell me a little bit about why you chose Steve and um, and and sort of why you didn't, for example, choose to sell independently without the help of an advisor. Okay, I have done research when I wrote my book, and I a lot of you know paper came in that you can sell yourself. Well, I became successful because I went 10 years of college in chemistry. So you don't become a broker without having good training and all those things that goes with to for success. So I had written in my book that you should hold, find a professional broker to sell your business. And because he will be a cushion between a buyer and yourself. So I believed in hiding a professional person to help me. And uh, my accountant and Steve Denny, uh, they are professional friends. As a matter of fact, my accountant had brought in Steve to my office and we went for lunch. And uh, before my wife had sickness, uh, I was trying to expand my business. So Steve would have helped me expand my business. Then when my wife got this problem, which is already resolved now, we I took her to Mayo Clinic and they took, up, took care of her problem. But at that time, I didn't know. So I knew Steve, I knew my accountant, and I called the accountant and he got Steve involved in my business. Got it. So what was the first step? I'm assuming you created um, some sort of listing for the company describing some of the key metrics like the $3 million in revenue, the gross profit margin of 70%, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that you were, you know, you had created your own formulas. Talk to me about what the next step was. Did you get multiple offers? Did you find one buyer? Like how many people came to the table interested in your company? Oh, okay. So then uh, what Steve did, he did some research, and he's very good at it. And uh, most companies are sold on your present sales and profit, 
and last year's sales and profit and maybe third year before uh, how much you made and take average and get a multiple. Smart thing that Steve did, that he projected how this value will grow on the basis of my growth. So he did not ask for only the profit that I was making, but what this company will make in the future. And that was a big, big uh, game changer there. So he, I had a projection myself, because I had managers, and they had given me how much they will do uh, for three years. So I had given him that figure. He put that in a very professional uh, looking binder. So, Doc, for, you, you had $500,000 of what brokers call SDE or, or basically um, the benefit you were taking out of the company every year. What, right. what did you think your managers think? What, what did you project in the future that you could do in terms of top line revenue and bottom line profit, say for the next three uh, years? Three years. So it came in all the way at, uh, like I was making uh, about million dollar, million, uh, but I left some in the company and I took 500. Uh, and then I paid all my help all the employees. Yep. So he projected that this business will profit within three years, almost double, $2 million bottom line. Got it. So he's so, projecting out a fairly significant growth. Yeah, yeah very drastic yeah. growth. Now, one of the things that, that, that I've, I've got to ask was, you know, it, it took, and, and no disrespect meant in this question, but, but, but I have to ask, it took uh, 40 years from 1975 to 2015, or roughly 40 years if I'm doing the math yeah. right, to get the business to, to $3 million, a tremendously successful company. What, how did Steve make the case, or how did you make the case that over the next three years, you could almost double it when okay. you had no sort of back, you know, your track record of doing growing that quickly beforehand. No. Okay, so what had happened? I always had for longest time. I um, sold about a million dollar and made seven hundred thousand profit. Paid my help and took home about a five hundred thousand. I left some in the company too. However, then I decided to expand my business because I wanted to sell this business. So I took more contracts. Since the last three years, I had uh, almost 20, 23% growth. Got it. Got every, it. Every year. But it was only last, last three years so when I decided that I'm going to expand. Hire professional salespeople. I had technical people, the high technology people, had a big on presence in Amazon, uh, eBay, Walmart, and all that, that I hadn't done that before. So for really, for the first 35 or 40 years, yeah. it was almost a lifestyle business for you. And then you made a right. decision to sell, and that's when you really ramped up the sales. Ramped up, yeah. Got it. I was very comfortable living, like I'm a doctor, doctors make a 
can sell about a million dollar practice and they make about half a million or less, you know. So I thought um, that's what I do. But then I started expanding my business because I'm going to sell. My children are not interested. My employees couldn't buy me. So I thought, well, let's expand and sell. So I started uh, gaining about 23% growth. That makes, in- yeah, that makes, that makes good sense. So when you're $3 million in revenue uh, right. and 70% gross profit margins, et cetera, what did you think the company was worth at that point? Okay, then I was thinking that if I can, after the commissions and all that, I can get two million. That would be good. So that was the, that was your that was the goal. That yeah. You... Bot, bottom line that I will get two million take home. Got it. So Steve puts together the projections for the next three years, makes the case right. that the company can can grow, can 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 continue to grow into the future. What right. next? Did you did you get? other people interested in buying the company? Like how many folks did you start negotiating okay, with? Then he had uh, advertised in professional journals. And the way he put that in, that I'm asking, this is a very valuable company, over 40 years old, no debt, profitable all the time. So I want uh, the buyers to bid this for this uh, buy. So they have to fight. They have to compete against each other. So so did he list it with a certain price or did he ask them to submit proposals? No. It was a play proposal. He didn't tell them how much. Got it. And uh, so then he got uh, about 14 offers. 14 offers. Yeah. There was 64 interest. Wow. And 14, yeah, and it happened so fast that I was not quite ready for it yet. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it went real fast. So then we start having all these buyers coming in. So I talked to five of them. And then I had offer of uh, the, the one that we sold to are uh, 2.8 million. And then a company had over $300,000 cash that I will keep. Then the accounts receivable, accounts payable difference that I will keep. Inventory they will pay. So this came out to be about 3.2 million. Fantastic. Originally, you were thinking 2 million would have been a great a great exactly. exit. So yeah. you exactly. you very much exceeded that. So talk talk to us about the process. It's it's really unique that you were able to get so many offers so quickly. Yeah. Do you do you have any sense of of why your company obviously it was profitable and had been in business for forty years, no debt, but was there something about the the company itself, either the maybe the product, the formulas that made it so attractive to acquire? Okay. So 70% of the product that we made, uh, we sold, uh, we made ourselves. So they were pretty highly profitable, and we had a control over their uh, sources mm-hmm. and production. That was one. 
Second was that we had a very elaborate website. If you go on chemcoindustries.com. What percentage very of your sales were from the website? Not that much. But the presence was there. They will call in or contact our salespeople. So, uh, so sales will occur uh, through the salespeople. But the website had a lot to do with it. Then we had accounts with uh, Amazon, uh, Walmart, eBay. Those three were the big ones. And our sales were growing uh, 10%, 12% higher every month. Mm. So that was big. Even though that amount wasn't that high, but the percent was high. So buyer can see how much that can be. When you think about the offers that you received, these 14 offers, what were they from mostly other companies? Were they private equity groups? What was the... Who, yeah, the private equity groups. Uh, one guy who was highest and we didn't sell to him, uh, that was from New York. And he owned something like a 1,200 or 12,000 or something nursing home beds. Hmm. And he was buying close to he was spending around $5 million in all these chemicals. So if he made this, he will make uh, double the profit. Sure. He will, he will spend that anyway. So for him, it was no big deal to spend and buy this company. But he had to move the company to New York, and my employees would lose the job. So I didn't like that. So we found a local company who was smaller than us, but they are local. And they were a little less, second second best, and we sold to them, and that was a good move. If they're smaller, how did they come up with $3.2 million? Yeah, that's, so, and they don't even know chemical business. It's amazing. They are an insurance business, insurance agency. And uh, they make a lot of money in that thing. And they had a good credit rating and bank loaned most of the money. I see. So your acquirer, interestingly, was an insurance provider? Yeah, isn't that something? Now, why, yeah. why, were, they, why were they interested in buying a chemical company? Uh, that, that's... Because they wanted to get something stable then because insurance is in transition, primarily health insurance, you know. So, but they, they were there still doing well on that. Both of these buyers are insurance brokers. So they were looking at you as almost a hedge against what they have in insurance. Yeah, right. And they had bought a small company of my type, and they needed a lot of help that we have, like a good website, internet presence, a sales manager, IT professional, all these programs were all automated. They, they need that kind of service. So what proportion of the deal did, did you end up having to finance? The, the $3.2 million, I'm assuming you didn't get a check 
at closing for that amount? Was there a portion yeah. that, that that they asked you to yeah. finance? Uh, I think in one place, they wanted me to take the account receivable payable, and they will pay me as the uh, account receivables are paid. And I said no to that. I want cash, right? Everything I want cash. And they gave me cash. A hundred percent. hundred percent. I don't, I didn't, they don't owe me nothing. I'm a consultant. They pay me every month. But uh, I was in Florida. Looks like uh, your helper is from Tampa or Clearwater. Right. Florida. Yeah, our producer is that, that's, yeah. that's That's where I was. Wow. For three months. So Three months right on the ocean. So you got $3.2 million cash, no, no okay. financing. Wow. That, okay. is, no. that is that is exceptional. Was that where they started? Did they, was the initial offer all cash or did you negotiate yeah, at all that cash? Yeah, that we scored right, right from the beginning. That I don't want to finance anything because I had uh, some friends of mine sold on that financing business, never got the money. Something went wrong. They found some ways not to pay them. So I didn't want to sell the company. And uh, if they didn't sell, I would have promoted one of these guys to be manager. So this was, and, right. Yeah, so I didn't have to sell without having all the cash in the front. So the winning winning bidder uh, was, as I understand it, the, the second highest offer. Um, right. And and there were a variety of offers. Maybe talk a little bit about the the other other offers you received. Were they were there other sort of deal terms which were somewhat unique um, that that either turned yeah. you off or or that you chose not to pursue? One was a lawyer, accountant, a lawyer, lawyer. He was attorney, and uh, he had the money. He will pay cash. And he had, while he was growing up, he worked in a soap factory, chemical plant. So he, wa- he had some kind of nostalgia about chemical thing, and he wanted to buy it. But we found out he did not have the aptitude to run business like this. Why did you care if he had an aptitude to run the business? I mean, you were getting cash up front. I agree. But I wanted to have my, all these 20 employees to have a job, mm. and it's, the company should last a lot more than in just a few years. So that was also a, a dream of mine, that this company should stay in business. So that was one person that we didn't go further. Another guy was a chemical engineer. Uh, and uh, he had worked for, or is still working for a large company. And we had an interview with them, with him, and he had financing arrangement made with his father-in-law or a bank or something. And again, we backed out on him. So uh, there were some um, that that investment group. And the way they were talking, they didn't understand this business. Mm. They wanted to 
yeah, they wanted to buy in a bankrupt or closure or what I don't know how they do this and make money that way or so we had several but we interviewed five of them in person and they came here they flew from New York and I spent a whole day with us and so people came from distant places but the basic why that this company was very profitable and we were in business a long time. We have a high rating at Dun & Bradstreet, one of the highest ratings. That's why we, we have, uh, also we have a contracts with the federal government. And that's like a five-year contract. So we sold as a company, most of the time, a small business is sold, they buy they don't buy stock, they buy the assets. But they bought the stock because we have that built-in business from the federal government. Got it. So that was important to the buyers, obviously, that, that Buy, recurring that's revenue, that's, that contract it, revenue. Doc, right. Doc, you strike me as a, a very street smart guy, having come from India with $15 in your pocket and building you know, a multi-million dollar business selling it in a, in a very savvy way. I'm assuming that that street smarts came in handy in, in your negotiation with these 14 offers. What was the, what was the trickiest thing or the slimiest trick that one of the potential acquirers tried to <laughs> pull in, in getting you to yeah. do a deal? What, what sort of tricks did you have to fend off? That's, Two, two tricks they played. One thing, that what happened, one of the contracts, the federal government contract, their specs had changed. The specification changed. So then, the product they were buying, they said they, they cannot buy it. It has a chemical which may have an adverse effect on people in long term. FDA had declare that. So they say, I don't want to buy anymore. But give me something equivalent, I will buy. So by the time I develop the product and get the product for them to try and all that, my sale of that being, uh, that product went down. So the sale went by like a hundred, a little over a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars. And we got the business back but in that temporary month, we didn't have that business, so still went that. So now <laughs> the buyer found out, of course, we don't want, always have been transparent. We told them we got a problem with one of our products. So the guy, the government is not buying, but you know what? They will buy and we will give them the right product the way they want it. But they found a loophole and say, well, I tell you what, the offer that I had given you is on the old price. All sales, all sales. So I will deduct that $100,000. So we said, no, 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 you are going to get the business. By the time you close, you will get it. So finally, they were so much interested in it. And men, mentally, they were so much involved that they couldn't back out. How, so much, they, how, yeah. how much were they trying to lower the price? Uh, 100000 
Okay, so they tried to knock off a hundred grand off the sale price. Right. Got it. You mentioned there were so, there were two situations. What was the second? Ah, uh, now one was that I mentioned to you that they didn't want to pay me for the accounts receivable, mm. and they wanted me to get paid as these invoices are getting paid. And I don't know how which one get paid, which one doesn't get paid. So I will be in a guessing game with them. So I knew he can't back out anymore. I said, no, I'm not playing that game. You know, we had, so we've got to come up with the cash or no deal. So then they came up. But those two things were there. Fantastic. Uh, 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 it sounds like you were, uh, you were in a great, powerful position just given all the offers that you had, which enabled you to push back right. on some of these. I agree. I agree. Got it. So uh, that, yeah. Doc, I'm, I'm grateful for you spending the time to share your story. Um, I understand you've written a book. Tell me, tell me what prompted you to write, write the book. Okay. As you know, I was born and raised in India, very poor, but I was blessed to have a good mind to be good at in chemistry. So I was very good in high school. I was a topper all the way. I come to Columbia, Missouri, and I didn't know much English, but still I got a straight A in chemistry. So then I started business and became affluent. So I thought that I should write my formula. Uh, how I came from a generational poverty where people were from one generation to other will be poorer than the one before. I built a business and family that is generational progressive opportunity. My son is doing a lot better than I did. My daughter is doing a lot better than I did. My grandchildren are doing even better than that. One has this Wharton MBA graduate working for Goldman Sachs. Another person, his granddaughter is going to be a doctor pretty soon. She's in third year of medical school. And all the, both grandchildren, other two, two are doing so well. So I created this system where it will be a generous, generational prosperity. One generation is better than the last. I thought I should write this down. So I can pass this formula. And my formula it's pretty simple. I define them, uh, what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I tell the people, say, you know, in America, it's so much wealth in this country that people who have average intelligence and willing to work hard can be a millionaire. But one way I know how you can be when you write, sign on both sides of the check. If you are signing only in the back of the check, you are on the back of the bus. Put yourself in a position that you sign in the front and sign in the back. That means go in your own business. So you can use all of your talents. And here are the ways you can do this. So I explained that in the book. I love right from the I love the idea of signing both sides of the checks. Uh, what's the book called and where can people buy it? Yeah, called the Formula for Financial Freedom, how I turn my $15 into millions. And where do people get I, it? 
amazon.com. The Formula for Financial Freedom, Dr. Kamal Yadav. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah. Oh, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.